for this week, uh, my, my GC, we went and we saw Star Trek. Wow, I got like four people this service. Last service, like one lady back corner. Yeah! I'm like, that's right. That's right. Anyway, so when's the, new, the new one, like, it's, I liked it better than the, than the last new one. The, I don't know how you say it. I was going to say it better than the, than the old one, but I don't need to be the whole can of worms with that. So the new timeline, the new... JJ. So anyway, I like the, I like the, the, it was better than, than the first new Star Trek thing. I thought it was great. But before we went to see it, we all went out to dinner at, at Chili's and went over to, to go see the movie. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, you know, don't you hate a middle movie when you gotta like go pee and you're gonna miss like a really good part, right? So I'm not, I'm not gonna like show you pictures or something. Come on, okay. So I'm sitting there kind of worried about this, you know, cause I'm, I had water with dinner because I'm a cheapskate. So I'm, you know, drinking my water and I go, man, what am I going to have to go pee here in this movie? And our waiter tells me about this app. I don't get any money for this. I'm just letting you know about it. It's called Run Pee. Okay? And, and I, it's 99 cents and I download this and it is awesome. So what it does, and when it starts the movie, like you go, oh, Star Trek, boom, you open it up and it says like 43 minutes into the movie, that's when you go pee. And it says, it says, this is like Spock tells Uhura, she's hot, it doesn't matter, blah, 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 go to the bathroom, right? That's not what it, that, that'd be, if I made the app, that's what it would say, but that, that's not what it's, anyway. So, so, and what it does is it has a timer in it. So you put in, like, when you see the Paramount logo, you hit start, boom, stick your phone in your pocket on silent. Don't mess up my movie experience. So you sit there, and it's like, oh, it's time to go pee. It's amazing. It's like, hey, hey, dude, it's time to go. Anybody got to go? It's time to go. I thought I was the coolest guy in the theater. Nobody else did. And I was like, hey, go pee now. Don't walk in front of me. Anyway, so run pee. Awesome app. At the, at the end of it, I'll even tell you, you know, the credits are nine minutes long. There's nothing after the credits. You can go pee. So it's, it's great. So if there's a movie that has them, it's like, wait, there's this after the, or you got nine minutes to go and come back, you know, kind of thing. After, seriously, after first and second service, somebody, somebody was like, so uh, do we get that for the message? How rude, right? How rude. I said, no, because there is no boring parts. It's just awesome. You're going to go pee. You're going to come back. What I missed? Like I said, you got to download and listen to it because it was awesome. I don't know. Maybe not today. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Hey, don't forget to buy your tri-tip sandwich. I have it on my list, and Christy stole my thunder, so whatever. Hey, welcome to Element, if you're new. <laughs> uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the community tables throughout the room, and I'm really trying hard to make, not to make a joke about Run Pee, because Paul's like recording the video, and he's like, don't say anything else about it. I want to cut it out before you... If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Run Pee. I love you, Paul. Uh, you can download the app. It's called Uversion. You click on Live, and Uversion will bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You get sermon notes and verses and all that go along with it. And with that, why don't you stand with me for reading the God's Word? This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we'd be a people who begin to understand what that word blessed means and that we'd be a people who understand that we have been blessed by you, but it's not for us to keep it to ourselves. It is to pour through us and to those around us, and you would truly make us your children and your conduits for that blessing to the world around us. Amen. Have a seat. 
So this is uh, Genesis week 68. If you've been following along and, and you have a good memory, you'll be like, hey, what happened to week 67? Because last week was 66. It's not that we think the number 67 is evil and we've stricken it from our dictionary or anything like that. Now, I have a guy that's going to come and talk to us about good business sense because 67 is where Joseph makes this land deal in Egypt. It's really amazing. A lot of people didn't save for their future. So I got a friend coming that's going to share about that. Uh, but he's got graduations and stuff and he can't come till June 9th. So for a couple weeks, you're going to just be a little bit off. It's okay, all right? You pray to God. He'll, he'll help you get over it. You'll be fine. You'll sleep at night, whatever. Take a pill. You'll be fine. Anyway, all right. So uh, this is week 68. When we finally get done, it'll all be on the website in order. So you'll be like, oh, thank God. I am so anal. I've got to keep it the right way, but we'll, we'll be good on the website. So today we're back looking at Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Jacob is Joseph's dad. Jacob is also called Israel. Uh, he is nearing his death, the end of his life. And over the next couple of weeks, what you are going to see is how he says goodbye, how he says goodbye. Jacob has had a wild ride throughout his life. He dominates much of the latter part of Genesis. And as he nears the end of his life, he's going to lay his hands upon his grandsons. and He's going to beg God that they would love him and live for Jesus as well. So open your Bible to Genesis chapter 47. In this, he also prays they wouldn't forget God. It is about blessing. It is about ending well. Uh, So Genesis 47, we're going to start in verse 27. And we'll actually go all through chapter 28 as well. Genesis 47, 27 starts like this. Thus Israel, and now when it says Israel, that's beginning to refer to all of them. So it's like the nation. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. That means they made babies, they started businesses, they were doing well. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. Now, what you have to understand in this is Joseph is born, he lives with his dad for 17 years before he is sold into slavery. He's in slavery 20 plus years, whatever it was, and at the end of his life, he comes back and he lives 17 more years with his father again. So it's kind of like little bookends for him. It's it's really kind of neat. And part of what you'll see throughout the scriptures is as Joseph takes care of his father, there are times, if you're a believer, when your parents get older, you might need to go ahead and take care of them. Uh, That means, you know, when you were young, they fed you, so you feed them. They housed you, you housed them. They changed your diaper. You may have changed their diaper, but, you know, it, it all works together. It's all, it's all biblical, so good. Uh, verse 29. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh. This is the way they make oaths. Today we shake hands. You don't put your hand under my thigh or I'll punch you. Okay? <laughs> put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. He says, promise me where I'm going to be buried, where God says I need to be promised. But let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. If you have an NIV, it probably says staff, but the word is actually bed. I have no idea why NIV says, says staff. What happens is he's really old, and so he's leaning, and he's kneeling, and he's praying, thank you, God, for looking out for me and my entire family, and one day I look forward to rising in your promised land. That's like the closing of the scene. Now, Soren Kierkegaard, here's here's a quote by Soren Kierkegaard. He says, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Now, what that means is that we must be a people who live with the end in mind. We figure out where do we actually want to end up. And if we want to end up as a people who have children who love Jesus and we have families that love Jesus and follow him and are a blessing to the world, well, we've got to start that now. We can't just hopefully meander into that. We actually have to start and look at what the end is and work towards the end. 
And so you start there and work yourself back to where you want to go. And this is where Jacob is at the end of his life. He probably wishes he would have done a lot of things differently. Chapter 48, verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So it's the dad taking his two boys to see their grandfather on his deathbed. His boys are probably in their 20s. Uh, the grandpa they didn't know most of their lives is getting ready to die. If you're a grandpa, your grandkids should love you. Just love you to death. You should be like the coolest dude in the world. You're a blessing to them. I mean, if you're a grandpa, when they come to your house, you, got, you buy an air compressor and you turn it on in the garage. So when they come over, you're like, Ooh, and you spray it in your face and you spray it in theirs. And you take pictures and you post it on Facebook. You're like, my grandkids are awesome. And you show it to them. You, you buy mini bikes that don't run half well and the steering doesn't work and they drive over your yard and they run into things and run over each other. It's like, woo, I love grandma's house. You wear overalls with candy in your pockets. And you say, you know, it's like my grandpa, he doesn't wear pants. He just wears overall stuff with candy. You know, and they go, grandpa is great. This, this is probably one of their favorite people in the world. And they're going to see him on, a death, on his deathbed. It becomes a really heavy moment. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed because he wants to lead as long as possible. So he's going to sit up, puff out his chest, and start to talk about God. Verse 3, And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty. And I love this because he's really old. And they're probably like, be careful with Grandpa. He's really fragile. And they walk in and there's Jacob. God Almighty. And you just got a picture like a really old dude, 147 years old, right? You know, just like all skin and bone, just preaching a sermon. Because it's like, this is my funeral, and I'm going to preach my own funeral, and that's how it's going to go. Uh, I meet a lot of people in, in the hospital at times who are going through stuff. When people are in the hospital, they tend to start talking all about themselves. What I love about Jacob is at the end of his life, he stops talking about himself. He starts talking about God Almighty and what God has done. He says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. He starts telling his testimony so everybody knows it. I was in Luz and I was a loser. He says, and he blessed me. His eyes where God met me, called me home. I became a Christian. This, he's stressing the importance of knowing God and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful. You're going to get kids. You're going to get converts and you're going to get land and lots of babies. Oh, well, now he's not crying. anymore. was grist. No. That's so working into it. That's going to be like, yeah, whatever. I thought I was getting excited. And multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. This means you're going to become a church of many nations. We are part of this blessing that God gave to Jacob. You and I are today. And what he says is you boys need to know Jesus because it's more than just about us. It's about the entire world coming to live and follow God. Verse 5, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. What he's doing is he is adopting two of Jacob's sons, or two of Joseph's sons as his own. There needs to be 12 tribes of Israel. Reuben gets left out of most lists now because he was a pervert. Uh, Joseph is left out, but both of his sons are actually placed into these lists. Levi is a tribe, but he never gets any land, I think, because he was a violent man. And the point is that God can move out and move anybody else in that he wants to because God is sovereign and God can do whatever he wants to do. And because Jacob has a couple ungodly boys, Joseph has a couple godly boys, and he puts them in he says my two sons are not about god's business you two boys need to be it's at the end of his life and what he's kind of saying to these boys is do not be the dirty old man at the back of the strip club on christmas day who was all alone you need to be boys who lead and love a family well so they follow god and your faith is then passed down to your kids as well and he says and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours they shall be called by the name of their but they shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance and then he continues his testimony 
testimony. He continues to tell them how he came to follow Jesus. And this is, this is important for you and I. You have to figure out your testimony. You must do that. This is one of the reasons if you are baptized at Element, we have you write out your story because you have to know how to tell it. So many people say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So we help you through that. We write it with you, but you have to be able to tell it. I think one of the greatest things today is the, this technology, not just for apps like RunP, but, but so that you can actually get like a video camera and you can videotape your testimony. So when you are gone, your grandkids can see who you were and why you love Jesus and why he was important in your life. Then your great grandkids can see it and your great, great, great grandkids can see it. And you, you can leave this lineage to your children and children's children, children that come after you and they can see why Jesus is so important in your life and why you can make a difference in their life as well. It's kind of amazing that he's telling this here and then we get to read it 4,000 years later and this is the kind of thing on your deathbed what are you going to say what would you want people to know about you he says uh and so that's the whole thing the children that come after you will be named in the brother's inheritance he says as for me when i came from Paddan to my sorrow rachel died in the land of canaan on the way uh rachel was his favorite wife she had some defects but she was cute uh, when there was still some distance from Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So she dies birthing the son at Bethlehem, where Mary is going to birth Jesus. Verse 8, when Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, who are these? Now he says that because he's getting old, he can barely see. And so Joseph says to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. Let me ask you a question. Where do kids come from? Ultimately. <laughs> I know where they come from right now. I don't need the story, but Ultimately. God, exactly, exactly. You don't tell kids stupid things like the stork brought you. You tell them things like God gave you to me, and that is the greatest blessing in my life. That's what you tell them. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. And this is kind of the focus of what we're looking at today, that I may bless them. Henry Cloud once said, transformation requires grace plus truth plus time. Jacob is a different man because he had a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of truth and a whole lot of time in his life that God brought him to the man he needed to be. Grace throughout the scriptures can be seen over and over in this word blessing. You can follow this all the way through the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, God brings forth trees and fruit and berries and animals, and God says that it's good. And in Genesis 1.22, it says, and God blessed them. Every time God blesses, it is a gift of grace. The word for bless and blessing is used over 400 times in the Old Testament alone. God starts by creating, then he blesses, and then God creates human beings in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. It seems in part that God makes creation because he is a God who longs to bless things. And he makes people because he wants somebody to bless on the seventh day, what does God do? He rests. And God likes the seventh day so much. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, God blesses the seventh day. And this is the idea that you and I, we get rest because it's a blessing from God. You fast forward to the flood, and God blesses Noah and his sons in Genesis 9. That God loves to bless. It's one of the reasons, again, why he creates human beings, to be both blessees, but also blessers. It comes to us and flows through us to those around us. It gets really clear when God gets to Abraham. In Genesis 12, verse 2, he says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Blessing begins with God. It comes to us. It flows through us to those around us. It never just stops with us. The idea is that through Abraham or through you and I, we become the people who bless the entire earth. You know what the entire earth means? The world, the entire earth? It means the entire earth. Holy cow. Okay, whatever. <laughs> it's, this is the way that God is going to spread his blessing. 
the big problem is the human tendency for us to sit and try and figure out, well, how can I, how can I just enhance my own blessedness? I just want to keep all the blessings for myself. I just want, want to be blessed. I want to accumulate things. We live in such a consumer-driven society. Do you know what the movie Chronicles of Narnia, right? Even if you haven't seen it, you know about it. Okay. Uh, when Chronicles of Narnia came out, there was a company that actually offered pastors a chance to win $1,000 and a free trip to London if the pastor would send proof that they mentioned that movie in their sermon. Imagine that, right? We live in such a commercially driven society that there is a corporation paying pastors to do product placement in their sermons. I guess that kind of just did it, but not how probably how they intended it, right? I'm just making fun of it. We are all about how can I be blessed, but that is not God's plan. God's plan is to give you a blessing so you become a blessing to those around you. The reason that blessing is so central to all the scriptures is really the answer to the ultimate human question of what is the good life. Now, our question of what is the good life is different from God's question for you and I of what is the good life. You see, blessing is different than success because blessing starts with God. It starts with God. It doesn't start with me. It is all grace. It's different than success because it is given for the purpose that we bless the world around us. It's not about showing how blessed I am. Now, Mark Buchanan writes about a group of children who were asked, what does love mean? Because love is very connected to blessing. Rebecca, age eight, she says this, when my grandmother got arthritis, she could not bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does this for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's being a blessing. Billy, age four, says, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. You know, so the questions become, metaphorically, whose toenails are you painting? Whose name is safe in your mouth? Who around you would say they find you to be a blessing in their life? Because that is the blessed life. That is. And one of the things that Genesis wants us to see over and over through it is that God's plan for human beings to be conduits of this blessing has been marred and stained by sin. When you get to Isaac and Rebekah, they have two boys. One of them is Jacob, who is giving this blessing, and his brother Esau. Esau is a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. He's like a Ted Nugent, but he's like a Wookiee Ted Nugent, just covered in, in fur. Jacob is a mama's boy. He stays home. He drives a VW Rabbit. He likes Mariah Carey CDs. That's, that's Jacob. All right? and, and you read this about their parents. Genesis 25, verse 28. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There is a world of hurt in that one sentence right there. Their lives become a fight for the blessing because Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. It leads to major struggle between these two brothers where Jacob manipulates Esau eventually into selling him his birthright. And then the whole blessing idea comes up and becomes a battle between the two boys of who's going to get it. And so what Jacob does is he then tricks his blind old dad into giving him the blessing. In Genesis 27, when Esau hears that the blessing went to his brother Jacob, he goes to his father and he says, Genesis 27:34, Bless me, me too, my father. In verse 36, he says, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. I mean, this devastation is catastrophic. Later on, Esau learns that when uh, Isaac blessed Jacob, he also gave him this admonition. In Genesis 28:1, he commanded him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Well, Esau already had two Canaanite wives. And so what, is, what does he do? Genesis 28, verses 8 and 9. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Ishmael, Esau went to Ishmael and took as a wife Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael. He thinks, if that's the way I will get a blessing from my father, then I'll marry someone he approves of. And do you think that's the last time anybody who has a messed up relationship with their parents led them to a really bad marital choice? No not at all, okay? Seriously, I counsel people in my office. Not at all, all right? 
And so Esau now, he wants to kill Jacob because he feels like he stole the blessing. So Jacob runs for his life. 20 years he runs away. This family is devastated by the mishandling of this blessing. This is why Jacob is, is so intent on how he's given this blessing to his grandsons. Jacob, eventually, he'll get wealth and he gets power, but he can't get what he really wanted, which is the blessing of his father's love, his father's approval, his father's delight. Where can someone as damaged as that get the blessing they crave? And for Jacob, the blessing comes when he least expects it. Many years later, he's finally coming back home, 20-plus years after he runs away. Esau hears he's coming, so Esau grabs 400 guys to go meet Jacob, and Jacob's like, he's going to kill me. So he gets really scared. He sends his family on the other side of a river. And what happens is Jesus shows up and wrestles with him all night. Jesus restores to Jacob masculine dignity so he understands what it means to, to fight and to hold his ground and to love God and do all of those things. And when Jesus is getting ready to leave in the morning, Jacob holds on to him. In Genesis thirty-two twenty-six, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And what does God do? He blesses him right there. But God also gives him another really strange gift. He touches the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip is wrenched, and Jacob now limps the rest of his life. So when Jacob and Esau, they actually meet, Esau runs to meet Jacob, but Jacob can't run to meet Esau. And I think Esau's heart melts just a little bit, because there is something about Jacob's brokenness that touched Esau's heart in a way that Jacob's cleverness and strength never could. Jacob is given a blessing, but he's also giving a limp, this hurt, this wound. And I think maybe that wound is part of his blessing. Because afterwards, he begins to see everything a lot more clearly. In the ancient world, uh, this family blessing always came to the firstborn. It always went to the firstborn. But Isaac, Jacob's dad, was not the firstborn. Jacob was not the firstborn. And this is the idea when you get to the entire Old Testament, you come to the New Testament, you understand that, that the blessing is coming to you and I through Jesus to a people who were not firstborn, to a people who have no status. That's you and me. We've done nothing to deserve it. The kingdom of God turns everything upside down. And if you take this in context, you'll see that in order to be fruitful and to grow, many times God comes and he prunes us. He gives us a limp. My wife and I used to rent this place and had an apple tree in the backyard. This apple tree had grown over and its limbs had grown down into the ground so that it was actually, the whole thing was like stuck in the ground and the whole thing was dying. It had like one or two apples, but they were spindly and nasty and horrible. You'd never want to eat them. So, you know, there's a tree guy. He's like, you got to chop that thing up. So you go out there and you cut all these limbs off. And I mean, you thought you killed, nothing was going on. The tree was just dying. I killed this tree, but you didn't. What happened is the tree, though severely traumatized, a couple years later comes back and starts bearing real fruit again that actually tastes really, really good. This is the idea of what God did in Jacob's life by giving him this wound. This is what he does to you and I as well. Jesus' words in Matthew 15, 1 and 2, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Prunes. You know, pruning and all that, this is the idea of blessing. We all want to bear fruit. Fruit is blessing. But nobody wants to be pruned. I don't want to be pruned. Your kids don't want to be pruned. But you better prune your kids or they're going to end up really crazy. When God comes and prunes us, sometimes it's through sickness and struggle and suffering and conflict. And it hurts. It's not pleasant. Just like Jesus wrenching Jacob's hip. But Jesus says, you know, even if you're fruitful, I'm going to prune you so you produce more on the backside. And when we get pruned, we are traumatized and it hurts. But if Jesus just let us go, we would die. We would never become who we were meant to be. 
And so you see Jacob, who God had to prune his entire life. He has to run away from home. He's in slave labor at his uncle Laban's house. His daughter may have even been raped. Part of why? Because he was a bad dad. His wife Rachel dies. His son that he loves from her, he thinks is dead for 20 plus years. But Jacob doesn't stop believing and doesn't stop trusting God. And sometimes that's not that bad. You know, and at the end, he bears much fruit. He has a family and a faith that has endured for 4,000 years and is handed down to you and I. And he's trying to pass this on to his grandkids. So in Genesis 48, 9, when it says, bring them to me, please, and I may bless them, this is very important. And I'll reiterate this on Father's Day in a couple of weeks, but you have to understand in the core of every man is a desire to be blessed and affirmed by his dad. Every guy wants his dad to say, I love you. We want our dads to show us how we're supposed to love God. But so many of us didn't have that dad. I mean, I didn't have that dad. And so when you, when you have kids, you lay you, your hands on your kids. You pray for your kids because laying your hands is so much more intimate than anything else. And you pray for them. And it's hard. The kids will get their courage and strength from the dad who affirms and he blesses them. If you're a guy, you cannot forget this picture of Jacob, grandfather, on his deathbed, laying his hands on his grandkids. And you may say, well, I don't like to pray out loud. Well, you better get over it. Okay, you better get over it because your kids and grandkids are going to need it. Joseph brings his two sons to his dad. Jacob understands blessing now more than he ever, ever has. Verse 10, now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. That is good, healthy, masculine affection. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both Ephraim on his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Now, what he's doing is you know, the right hand goes forward to bless the firstborn. So he's trying to manip- move his kids into a way that you know, the, the firstborn's on Jacob's right and the secondborn's on, on his left, but Jacob's going to do the whole switcheroo. It's kind of cool. Uh, verse 14, and Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God for whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And that is one of the great themes of Genesis, that blessing comes from God. Jacob says, I'm not always going to be around, but God will and he will bless you. That's supposed to be the theme of the church today, that God has blessed us, we bless others. And some people, people come to me and they, and they talk to me and they want me to fix them. I cannot fix you. I can talk to you, I can kick you in the butt a little bit, but I cannot fix you. Only Jesus can do that. So that is why you bow yourself to him and he bestows blessings upon you and your life begins to change. He says, and in them let them, and in them let my name be carried on. They're going to carry on this legacy. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now Joseph sees this and he starts to get a little irritated. Hey, your hands are crossed the wrong way. You need to bless them like this. And Jacob, again, old dude, just like, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. He took his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. What you really see is at the end of Jacob's life, everything comes full circle. 
Where it started is where it is ending. Verse 20, so he blessed them that day, saying, by Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. You know what he says? I pray all men are like you boys. Can you imagine your dad saying that to you? Can you imagine? What, what would that do in your heart when your dad says something like that? Because God built men for respect and dignity, and Jacob gives that to them because God gave that to him first. It says, thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And Ephraim goes on to be one of the most powerful tribes in Israel. I mean, they, they both get you know, blessings. They do. Uh, but this tells you that blessing doesn't come from human status. It doesn't because, come because anybody deserves them. What Jacob understands is that blessing comes through Jesus, period. Verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. No matter what, I have learned that God is faithful, is what he says. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. So he gives his son Joseph a gift, and I love that because that's kind of the end of it, but he goes off like, I kicked butt, and I took names, and I got a mountain, and I'm going to give it to you. That's kind of neat, kind of neat. Now, when, when uh, Jacob switches his hands and blesses like that, the book of Hebrews tells you that is one of the greatest acts of faith Jacob ever did by blessing the younger. Because eventually all 12 tribes, they're going to be blessed. They're given names through, through Jacob's sons. The only tribe not named for a son eventually is Joseph. And we look at Joseph, man, Joseph was great. He's so celebrated. He deserves it more than anybody else. But Joseph doesn't even get named. But his two sons do. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to give you two big takeaways from God being in charge and God doing this, okay? Uh, number one is this. We need to be a people who joyfully receive all the blessings that God gives us. I think what that means is we spend our lives looking for them. We acknowledge them. We embrace them. We celebrate God's blessing in our lives because we will never be able to bless anybody with something we don't have or, more importantly, what we don't recognize we have because we have so many blessings, we have a tendency just not even to realize that they're there. So we must be a people who come to see that we have been and we are blessed by God, whether it's in hardship or plenty or whether it's even with a limp. Jesus, who was the greatest teacher who ever lived, who ever taught, who was God in the flesh, preached one of the greatest sermons ever preached, and it started with a single word, and it's the word blessed. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually going to start that in January, so hang out. We'll get there eventually, right? Second thing, joyfully give. Joyfully give all the blessing God gives you. A church ought to be a place where that naturally begins to happen. I mean, we should be doing it outside of this place, but if you've never done it, just start with people around you. Invite somebody next to you over for dinner. I mean, not like, you know, me or Eric or Jonathan or somebody that you see up here all the time. Invite somebody, like, look right next to you right now. Maybe somebody don't even know. Say, hey, you want to go over for dinner? No? What? Unless it's like your wife. She'd be like, what, you want me to make you dinner? All right. Look, invite you guys are so sad. Just so, invite somebody over for dinner. Do it. Say, I don't even know who you are. How about we get to know you? Because I'll tell you, there is a lot of people who crave a blessing in our world. Some, some people are broken. They're alone. And they just need a simple, someone to simply hug them. I mean, ask a question. Would people who you live with, whether it's a spouse or kids or a roommate or whatever, would they say that you are a blessing? Would they say that? Or would they say you kind of become a cranky, irritable person? Is that what they'd say about you? See, because God calls us to become the kind of people through whom his blessings flow. 
They flow. And so we bless the people we work with. We bless the people God sends to us throughout our days. We bless the next generation. The Bible's blessing is always intergenerational. Every generation, I think, deep inside, craves the blessing of the generation that came before it. And there's a lot of young people at Element, uh, and, and we have some older people that come too. And if you're older, look for a way to speak into and bless those younger than you because it all needs to flow together. I mean, seriously, I think sometimes if word got out that, you know what, we're a place who learns how to bless like God calls us to bless, I, I think the gospel would just explode. It really would. It really would. You know, um, let me give you a couple things before we, before we end here. Uh, Marianne Bird, she writes this memoir. It, it's called uh, the, the Whisper Test. And this is what she writes. I grew up knowing I was different. I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started school, my classmates made it clear how I looked to others. Little girl, misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to you, lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than have been born different. I was convinced nobody outside my family could love me. Then there was a teacher in the second grade we adored, Mrs. Leonard. Annually, we had a hearing test. Ms. Leonard gave the test to everybody in the class. Finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper. And we'd have to repeat back something like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? So I waited there for the words. God must have put in her mouth those seven words that changed my life. Ms. Leonard said in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Yeah, okay, nice start, right? But think about this. We live in a world that is made ugly and twisted by sin. And God is a God who says, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little boy. And that is supposed to be proclaimed by his people. We are to be those who go out and share that message of good news with those around us. All those blessings flow from the cross. Bless, 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 bless. You and I are given the great privilege not just to go out like Jacob, but to actually live the life he wished he would have lived to live that life every day that we can speak and we can be a blessing. And you have to understand that that blessing starts because God has first blessed us. This is why every week we steer you guys to communion where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us, where you dip it in the wine or the grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I because his blessings flow from the cross through his resurrection to you and I so that we can be a people who are redeemed and saved and restored and we can be a people who share that blessing, who can joyfully look around our lives and receive and then give, knowing that our God is first given to us. The band's going to come up, as they do. We invite you guys to take communion. Uh, again, remembering what Christ has done, giving us great blessings. Uh, there'll be deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer for anything uh we invite you guys to go pray with them uh if you maybe you feel like you've never gotten the blessing from your father you know what there's a heavenly father who would love to give you his blessing and they'd love to pray with you about that as well if you have any needs they'd love to pray with you there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back and we give because god gave so much to us giving is simply part of our worship it's a response just like we don't pass you a plate for communion you got to get up and do it we you know we don't we don't pass a plate for giving either it is a response you actually have to get up and actually have to do it there's food and stuff in the back and and again you know you don't have to grab something food in the back you can actually go spend five bucks on a sandwich for the youth group and maybe if you're like really leery about inviting somebody to your house just buy somebody else's sandwich go here sit in the back and eat a sandwich with me because you're weird but here's a sandwich and i'll i don't know i'm helping you out you got to start somewhere god calls you and i to be a blessing we must understand that, and we must start to live that. 
We live it. It's, it's not all hoarding and keeping it to ourselves. It is giving to others around us. And it starts with him. It doesn't start with you. It starts with him first giving to you. And then you understand that blessing is given to you and it flows through you to others. It's never meant to be kept just to yourself. And so today, instead of praying at the end of my message, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you a blessing I once heard Dave Peterson give. So I'd like you to close your eyes. And this is a blessing for you. May the Lord God Almighty in his mercy obliterate every word, statement, experience, and invisible barrier you may have constructed that is keeping his blessing from reaching your heart. May the unrelenting love of God pursue you and surprise you with his compassion for you. May the forgiveness of Jesus Christ restore and renew you. May the living waters of the Holy Spirit fill you and flow through you to a struggling and broken world. May God's peace rest upon you and may the Lord fill you with his joy. And may his joy become your strength. And may you give these blessings to others. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.